This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select pretty much at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents, or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 31st episode of The Quarterbin, I'm looking at Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 33, from Marvel Comics, cover dated September 1991. But first, a little feedback. Thanks to a recent appearance on the Fire and Water podcast and the Shortbox Showcase crossover with Mike Bailey's views from the Longbox, I've gotten some new listeners in the last month or so, and some have sent feedback. There was a new iTunes review for the network that focused on this show. Dumeril said that he recently found the Quarterbin podcast through a promo I heard on another podcast, and it piqued my curiosity. It only took one episode to hook me. Great premise, great choices in books, great format, and great show. I'll be listening to the podcast as long as they keep recording new episodes. Well, that is indeed high praise, for which I thank you, Dumeril. So, welcome to Dumeril and all the new listeners. Among that crowd also is Alexander Osias, who's working his way through the episodes. He commented on episode number two, which featured Superman, Ambush Bug, and the Legion of Substitute Heroes. His comment was how much he enjoyed the humor of the story. My favorite line was by Science Police Chief Sendak. Not ready for membership? In the Substitute Heroes, Rao, give me strength. <laughs> Thanks, Alexander. Another recent listener going through the back catalog is Noel Thingval of the I Hate Love Remakes podcast and the blog noelct.blogspot.com. He recently got through the Adam Strange miniseries, where I asked for listener feedback on how I covered those issues, and he said he thought those episodes went well. I told him, Thanks, man. There's potentially a four-parter coming up, starting on episode 35 or so. So that will be a test of listener patience. And there might be some more Adam Strange coming down the road, too. Hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> Noel also commented on the Primordial story from episode 23. While I haven't read most of them yet beyond the first couple of issues, with the exception of Mr. Hero which I instantly fell for and devoured with a passion, I did actually pick up a near-complete collection of the entire techno-comics line a few years back with the intention of making it into a fun blogging project. That hasn't come to fruition yet, but I still have those issues lying around, so maybe one day. They did, however, lead me to the blog of scripter Christopher Mills, and he's been an incredibly informative individual to follow and occasionally chat with. His recent line of web comics have also been a delight to read. Yeah, I mentioned in that issue that I pulled a little bit out of Christopher Mills' blog uh, for that episode, so I'm glad to learn that there's more in that blog of interest. So thanks again for those comments, Noel. Here are more spoilers for everybody. But Emily and I will be talking about Mr. Hero sometime in August on a Shortbox Showcase episode. And there are more techno books in the 25-cent database, so you never know if one's going to reappear here. 
And by the way, Noel, if you ever get that techno blog going, definitely let me know. He closes with, And if thought bubbles can't be a verb, I no longer wish to call this world my home. Exactly, Noel. Exactly. And take that, Ben Avery. (laughs) New feedbacker Manuel Carmona from Norfolk, Virginia wrote in with the email subject line of, I love the Quarter Bin Podcast. Let the rest of you learn a thing or two about how to get your email read on the show. In the actual body of the email, Manuel wrote, I found your podcast just a few days ago, and I've been listening to it nonstop at work. Okay, two things to address here. One, the nice thing about the Quarterbin podcast is that most of the episodes are in the 20 to 25 minute range. You can get totally caught up in less than 13 hours or so. Closer to 8 if you listen at 1.5 speed on your iDevice. Two, I am honored to be contributing to the productivity of American business. Now, just between us, except for the time that I'm actually in the classroom, or maybe a faculty meeting, I listen to podcasts at work all the time. Manuel continues saying nice things about the podcast and his inability to locate quarter bins at any store near him, but he has high hopes that he will one day. On episode 27, the Green Arrow issue, he writes, I literally pumped my fist in the air as the van sank, and the cop said, We'll think of something. Poetic justice. I have to agree with you in that Green Arrow has to have that edge to be different from Batman. You have to second-guess yourself when it comes to being sure if Green Lantern would kill his enemy or not, because there's a precedent for it. He just might kill him. I absolutely loved the issue. Anyhow, keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening. Thanks, Manuel. If you keep writing in, I'll keep reading them. And that goes for all of you. Now, on to our issue. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 33, had a cover price of $1.50, meaning I acquired this book at a satisfactory 83% discount. The cover, by Chris Merriman and Mark McKenna, shows Doctor Strange and Lady Clea being sucked into the Time Warp, with Thanos in the background smiling. And like issue 32, which we covered way back in episode 19, the cover proudly proclaims this as an Infinity Gauntlet crossover. Infinity Gauntlet crossover. Grumble, grumble, sigh. The story, The Alexandria Quatrain, was written by Roy and Dan Thomas, with art by Chris Merriman and McKenna and Friends. The issue itself starts in Avengers HQ in New York City, with Pip the Troll trying to communicate with the distinctly non-communicative Doctor Strange, who is hovering in the air, legs crossed. Pip, who evidently moonlights as a stringer for the expositional news network, thank you Michael Bailey, tells us that he is serving as a mystic anchor for all the guys he has sent off to fight Thanos at the other side of the galaxy. Meanwhile, At the other side of the galaxy, Thanos monologues that he can freeze these audacious attackers in time with but a passing thought. But he senses he must first deal with the one person possibly yet able to revive them again. And his name is Doctor Strange. Thanos is not pleased that Strange allied himself with Adam Warlock against Thanos. 
and with one mighty clap of his hands, the doctor's trance is broken. By the moons of Munapur, he exclaims, bringing his companion Clea into the room in alarm. By the vipers of Valtor, no! But yes! The doctor is pulled by Thanos into a swirly maelstrom type of thing, and Clea grabs hold of him, and thwoop! They are in the time stream. The doctor realizes that they are being sent through time so that I can't continue to anchor the heroes we sent against Thanos. If he and Clea can't make it out of the time stream before it reaches the beginning of time, that would be a problem. But he uses the Quatrain spell to anchor onto any magic they can find, and they reach a structure that the Doctor recognizes. The Lighthouse of Pharos. The what? Clea asks. If we've really tumbled backward into Earth history... Please remember that I'm not a native. The doctor explains that this is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. By the way, it's more commonly known as the Lighthouse of Alexandria. They've indeed landed in ancient Egypt. He knows that there's a reason why the spell dropped them off right here, right then. Of course, the library! His companion, Clea, does not understand. They never do, do they? We land knee-deep in the middle of history in the middle of the night, and you want to check out a book? I didn't say a library. I said THE library. It turns out that the pair has landed in this ancient city on Volcano Day. Or, actually, it's Fire Day. And my daughter Emily and her librarian colleagues die just a little bit every time the destruction of the Alexandria Library is hinted at. But if the library is burning and its magical tomes with it, the doctor needs to know then what magic remained here for my quatrain spell to home in on. They realize that they have to find the palace, so they head off in that direction. Clea probably did not realize when she agreed to this gig that there'd be such an awful lot of running to do. But they do not go unnoticed, for those who would conquer Egypt have reckoned without Zolta of Pergamum, says a big, bald, green-cloaked fella with a big pink circle on his forehead. The doctor and his companion make it to the palace, coming face to face with Caesar and Cleopatra. Clea remembers seeing them on TV, played by Rex Harrison and Liz Taylor, but the doctor assures her that these are the real ones. There is some confusion as to whether Cleopatra should have recognized the doctor from a previous issue, but, you know, timey-wimey. Our heroes fly away, the doctor having remembered that there is contradictory historical evidence about the burning of the library. They arrive, and in fact, it's buildings around the library that are ablaze. The repository itself is still safe. Inside, Clea wonders at the volume of scrolls. Small wonder your spell brought us to this era. This place would have acted as an absolute magnet. Inside, the doctor finds the exact scroll he needs for the spell. The Book of the Vashanti. Come here, my darling, he says. Take a look at... Stephen! He hears Clea scream, for she has been captured by Zota, sorcerer of Pergamum, whose library of magics rivals even Alexandria. He has confined her in a mirror and is threatening to shatter it and her. If the doctor does not hand over the scroll. Stephen, no! Whatever happens, you must not surrender the scroll! If you didn't find the scroll, the doctor points out, maybe it was hiding from you. Maybe you should take the hint. 
Ooh, a burn! Zoda emphasizes that he is not bluffing and smacks the mirror just hard enough to put spider cracks in it. Now, wizard, may I have the scroll? Do I finish what I have begun? Despite his companion's pleas, the doctor tosses the scroll to Zoda. I prefer women to books, magician. And if you had brains, so would you. The scroll knocks Zoda onto his back before returning to the doctor. He chants a spell to release Clea from the mirror, monologuing that he knew if the scroll had eluded Zota this far. There must be a spell protecting it from unworthy hands. So I figured the spell would lash out at him if he tried to touch it. And it did just that. The doctor uses the scroll to contact another 20th century anchor. But Clea doubts that he'll be able to find a sorcerer as powerful as he. And of course he is 2,000 years away. But it does seem to work. Everything around us is getting hazy. We're no longer in sync with this time. They leave behind the scroll and leave Caesar and Cleopatra to their respective fates. He doesn't want to change a fixed point in time. They return to his lab, Clea still not understanding how exactly this worked, but a voice from off the page fills us in. The one man who could be the magical anchor he needed was me, Dr. Anthony Druid, who actually has a pretty cool red and yellow costume and an awesome early 90s ponytail. While Druid is giving his backstory, the doctor resumes his floating trance from the start of the issue, saying he has to get back to work. And we are text-boxed that the story is to be continued in Infinity Gauntlet 4, and then we'll continue next month here in the next issue of this title, The Search for Doctor Doom. Coming in July 2014 to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, a new epic mega series. Trinus Magnus honors Superman, as only His Excellency Magnus can. Twelve episodes, all eras. An encomium of Superman comics, the oldest of the old, the newest of the new, a tasteful selection of everything in between, plus guest appearances from too many podcasters to count. The fun starts on July 22nd, 2014. Be there or kill yourself. Trinus Magnus punches reality only at twotruefreaks.com. Hi, I'm Nukechas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We're more like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Antagonist. Not really a guest. Nutty Bites. Nimlast.org. And we're back. First things first. Even though we covered the issue right before this one back 12 episodes ago, 
stuff has happened between that issue and this one. Mostly, Infinity Gauntlet number three has happened, but there may have also been a few other crossovers in between as well. So there are some missing pieces in terms of uh, plot continuity. Because when comic book companies do big crossover events like this, which was six issues of a miniseries with a few dozen crossover issues like this one, they have to make a decision about how required reading the spin-off or crossover issues really are. The balance is between putting enough story into these issues to make them attractive to readers of the miniseries or event, but not make them so critical that a reader may be so turned off by the number of ancillary issues they have to buy and the cost thereof that it creates a barrier of entry for readers to be interested in the miniseries at all. So the risk is potentially pricing your readers out of the event. Now this issue has all the feel of a non-required story. A story that takes place in the context of the Infinity Gauntlet storyline in the world of Infinity Gauntlet, but that does not specifically push forward the overall story arc of the Infinity Gauntlet. From the beginning of this story to the end, not much happens. It has the feel of episode four of a six-part classic Doctor Who serial. As a matter of fact, it's very similar to that. Our lead character and his female companion are captured, they run a lot, they fight, In this case, magical consequences are exchanged. And then we end pretty much where we started, just one episode, or in this case, one issue, closer to the end of the story. We even had a visit to a famous historical setting and met historical people, for crying out loud. And I mean this literally. We end exactly where we started. Doctor Strange starts the issue in a trance, And he ends it re-entering the trance, saying, I have to get back to work. He's telling Clea and Pip and Dr. Druid, and by extension all of us readers, that whatever just happened was merely a distraction. A distraction at best. A waste of time at worst. And that the trance was the most important part of his day. The trance is how he fights Thanos, so he's not really exaggerating. But I do give the Thomases credit for taking a wheel-spinning episode and giving us an entertaining romp through time and even giving us a little bit of a history lesson. We learn about the lighthouse and the library. There were facts and dates regarding Caesar and Cleopatra, even humorous references to Cleopatra's later relationship with Mark Anthony. They address the fact that there are conflicting versions historically of what happened to the library and even when the destruction happened. So this little misdirect about the burning of the library, I think was actually a nod to this debated part of ancient history. Now, I'm no Sorcerer Supreme, or Sorcerer Mediocre, even Sorcerer Well Below Average, but I'm not totally sure I dig Strange's hunch that the super-secret scroll was empowered to specifically avoid Zoda, and that when it was thrown in his direction, it would knock him on his big caboose and float back to Strange as if it was Captain America's shield or something, that was an awfully big hunch. Yes, Clea was at risk, but I still think it was a leap of logic, of mystical logic, of, of magical logic. Yeah, but still. And no, I've never heard of Dr. Druid either. 
but he has been around in Marvel for a long time, first appearing as Dr. Droom in a 1961 issue of Amazing Adventures, published by the company then known as Atlas Comics. The first appearance of Dr. Druid, again, Dr. Droom at the time, was written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, and inked by Steve Ditko. Talk about a murderer's row of early Marvel creators. Now, when I covered the issue before this, in episode 19, I admitted that I picked that book out of the quarter bin because it had Dr. Doom on the cover. And I previously picked up the issue after this one, also because it has Dr. Doom on the cover. By the way, we'll be getting to that next issue in some episode in the 40s, probably. This one I picked up solely because it fit between those two. And I thought having the bridge between issue 32 with Doom and issue 34 with Doom would make the overall stories flow. Now, that's not necessarily the case, as it turns out, the way the event was structured. But all of that being said, this story did what it set out to do. It told a heck of a fun romp through time. I should point out that Dave Gibbons' art was a strong contributor to this sense of fun as well. Now, there was a backup story here as well. If you recall, that prior episode, the prior issue, also had a backup. And this is a continuation of that story, which does sort of tie into the main story. The Book of Ashanti, A Gathering of Fear Part 3, was written by Roy Thomas and Jean-Marc Lafissier, with art by Larry Alexander and Tim Zahn. The Dweller in the Dark has called a meeting of his six fellow fear lords. Quickly, how many of these can you name? That's right, Nightmare, Despair, Nox, Kalaku, the Lurking Unknown, and Scarecrow. These beings who thrive in one way or another upon the fears which lurk in the hearts of lesser beings are slowly, guardedly making themselves known to each other. In this installment, the Dweller explains why it now behooves me to tell you why we must act together against despised mankind. He talks about Atlantis and the Celestials and how he created despair and his lifelong battle against Agamotto. We see battles against Thor and Hercules and Doctor Strange and the lovely and misallied Clea. He explains that long-laid plans are coming to fruition. Standing triumphantly before the other fear lords, the Dweller proclaims that I and you, if you deign to add your powers to mine and reap the rewards, shall now see Earth, and perhaps all the cosmos engulfed at long last, by the great fear. These characters do indeed return as the main story in issues 38 through 40 of Doctor Strange in a storyline called The Great Fear which I do not own and don't anticipate seeking out. But I have to say that this is a great use for a backup story. It tied somewhat into the issue with the the Book of Vishanti connection, but laying the groundwork for a story coming six months down the road is a great idea. I love the planning that that represents. The verdict on Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, number 33. I'll be honest, the backup pushes it over the line for me. Other than that, it's just a middle chapter in a long crossover event. That has never interested me much. But the combination of the backup and the technical aspects of the writing that I mentioned 
and the Dave Gibbons art. Yes, it was worth 25 cents. A certified quarter bin deal. That wraps up my coverage of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number 33, bringing episode 31 of the Quarter Bin Podcast to a close. In episode 32, we'll be looking at Shadow of the Bat from DC Comics, cover dated November 1992. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I am Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.